Matthew 13, starting in verse 31. This is what the word of the Lord says. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. In 1865, a man named William Ross Wallace wrote a poem. And I'm not a poet and, uh, <clears throat> and all that, but I appreciate this poet. The title of it is What Rules the World? You might have heard this po- poem before. Uh, whether you have or not, here's how it goes. Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace. In the palace, cottage, hovel, oh, no matter what the place, wood that that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infancy is the tender fountain, power may with beauty flow, mothers first to guide the streamlets, from them souls unresting grow. Grow on for the good or evil, sunshine streamed or evil hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Woman, how divine your mission. Here upon our natal sod, keep, O keep the young heart open, always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry, and the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Now, if you're like me, you weren't familiar with that line from that poem. You were more familiar with it from a song that Glenn Campbell sang. (laughs) Uh, But the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. It's a, it's a fitting statement, isn't it? But here, here's the reality. I, I've been around mothers my whole life. And I don't think that there is a mother on the face of the earth who thinks that their hand <laughs> that rocks the cradle is ruling the world. It's just not, I, I don't even think Meghan Markle thinks that. That the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The reality is motherhood is filled with mostly mundane day-to-day tasks. Lots and lots and lots of mundane day-to-day tasks. Feeding, diapers, clothes, car seats. If you haven't dealt with a car seat in the last ten years, oh, you don't know what you're missing. They used to be a simple thing. You'd just buckle it in the car and go. Or if when, like when I was that age, they just like threw me in the back and <laughs> called it good. But those things are complicated. But those are part of the day-to-day mundane tasks of motherhood. Car seats, checkups, homework, school days, more feeding, winter clothes, spring clothes, summer clothes, fall clothes, summer camp. VBS, more feeding, more homework, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends. <laughs> Pity that day, right? Tears, screams, emergency rooms, broken bones, more emergency rooms if you're the polys. 
scars, dance recitals, ball games, practices, more feeding, more homework, mom taxi. Any, any lady want to give an amen to the mom taxi thing? Mom taxi to school, mom taxi to summer jobs, mom taxi to friends' houses, to school activities, to church activities, oh, by the way, and mom taxis to more feeding and more clothes and more homework and more heartache and more laughter and more tears and more joy and more pain and more and more and more and more prayers. That's what the life of being a mother is. Hours and days and weeks and months and years filled with monotonous, mundane tasks over and over and over again. And I'd venture to say that no mother in the history of motherhood ever had visions of impacting the world as she was wiping a snotty nose or some other body part. It's not exactly what you think of that you're changing the world, but... As that poem and as that song says, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. See, our problem is is that we tend to think that only big things can make impact in this world. Well, here's the, th- here's the reality about big things. Many of the times, the things that we look to, the big things that we look to as world-changing, most of the time, all those do is make really big messes. Amen? It's the small, seemingly insignificant things that make world-changing, life-impacting, eternal impact. Think about it. Isn't that the way that Jesus came? Yes, Jesus is God. But how Jesus came, He came in the flesh. He came in the flesh as a little, tiny baby. A little tiny baby born to a poor, insignificant, unmarried teenage mom. He was placed in a feed trough in the middle of a backwater podunk town called Bethlehem. But it was his life, that seemingly small, seemingly insignificant event at the time that it happened, that seemingly tiny Event. It was through His life, death, burial, and resurrection that all of history has been impacted, but not just all of history, all of eternity has been impacted by a seemingly insignificant thing, event. And after Jesus ascended into heaven and, and blessed us with the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit, He's chosen to make His greatest impact in the world through little insignificant local churches like Parkview Baptist Church. That's how he's chosen to do it. And he's chosen to use little, insignificant, individual, spirit-filled believers like you and me to, to impact the world. And that's what Jesus is talking about in our parable this morning. It's a much shorter parable than the two that we looked at over the past couple of weeks. That doesn't, don't get all excited. That's not going to make the sermon any shorter. But the parable is much shorter than it has been over the last couple of weeks. And the first thing that you'll notice as you read through this, when you, when you come to this parable, you'll notice that this is the first one that Jesus doesn't interpret for us. 
He gives us this parable and then trusts us to interpret it according to the rest of the passage and the rest of the Bible. He left us to figure this one out on our own. So let's start by reading it again. I know uh, Jacob read it earlier, but we'll read it again. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31. He, of course Jesus, put another parable before them. That's the vast crowd that he was speaking to. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." Now, you remember, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you remember why the purpose for these kingdom parables that Jesus is teaching. Uh, The reason that he's teaching these parables is to teach his disciples at this point in time to teach them how Jesus is going to mediate his kingdom, how God is going to mediate his kingdom through the church. Up until this point, God has been mediating His kingdom. God's in control. God's the king. He created everything. And He's been mediating His kingdom through Israel, His chosen people. But from this point forward, Jesus actually from the resurrection forward, but this teaching is telling His disciples how that kingdom is going to be mediated through His churches, through faithful Biblically faithful, spirit-filled local churches. That's how the kingdom is going to be mediated. Jesus used these parables to describe what that was going to look like. Even before they knew about this thing called the church. Two weeks ago, we saw how God's kingdom grows. That was what the first parable taught us. And then last week, we saw who's in and who's out of God's kingdom and how we react in the midst of all of that. That was what the second parable teaches us. This morning, we're going to see the impact of biblically faithful, spirit-filled churches. That's what this parable is teaching us. So I told you what it's teaching us, but when you read it, you just saw that we're talking about mustard seeds and trees and birds and nests. And so how do we get that from what we see here in the passage? (laughs) I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about for a while. The first thing we need to do is we need to look at the different elements that Jesus mentions that he brings out in this parable and explain what he's meaning by each of those. So hold on as we do that, okay? The first thing that he brings up, (coughs) the first element that he brings up there in verse 31 is a mustard seed. Well, as soon as he brings up a mustard seed, that brings a... not a conflict, it can bring confusion in our mind for those who are familiar with the rest of the rest of the New Testament, right? Because when we hear mustard seed, we think about the other places where Jesus has compared the size of a mustard seed to the size of somebody's faith. But just because we see mustard seed doesn't mean that Jesus is talking about faith here. What he's talking about is the size of the mustard seed, the smallness of the mustard seed. Even when he was talking about faith in those other passages, he's talking about the smallness of the mustard seed compared to the smallness of faith. So what he's talking about here is the smallness of the mustard seed. That's the point. That's all there is to it. So he talks about the smallness of the mustard seed, and then he moves on from talking about the smallness of the mustard seed to talking about the man who sowed that seed. 
Well, okay, that can bring up more stuff because in the last two parables we've talked about sowers, haven't we? These have all been agricultural parables. But the sower in this parable is different than the sower in the first parable and the second parable. If you've been here with us for those past two weeks, you know that the sower in the first parable was describing all those who sow the seed of the gospel. So it was talking about Jesus and all of us as believers. That was the sower in the first parable. In the second parable, there are two sowers listed. There is the one who sows the seed that grows into the good sons of the kingdom. That was Jesus and the one who sowed the wheat, the wheat, weeds, listen to me, weeds, <laughs> I'm mixing up wheat, wheat and weeds, who sowed the tares in the field, and that's the devil. So in the second one, you had two sowers, and this one, you have one sower. But there's not much said about that sower. The sower isn't the focus of the parable. The sower is just in the background of the parable. So we don't need to try to make the sower into a main point of this parable. We just need to remember that so far the focus of the parable is on small beginnings. Small beginnings. So after mentioning the sower, Jesus moves on to mention the field. Once again, the field is not the main point of the parable. But there's something curious that I want you to notice about the field. There is one sower And there is one field. The field belongs to the sower. And when the owner of the field plants that super tiny seed in his one field, that super tiny seed grows into a tree. Bigger than all the other plants in his garden. Jesus' point is that something really small that he put in his field is really growing into something really big and impactful. But even that is not the main point of the parable. The main point of the parable is what happens after the tree has grown. You see what happens after the tree has grown? The birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. So things that are outside of the tree, things that are not part of the tree, things that are not anything like the tree come and are blessed by the presence of the tree. In other words, just the mere presence of the tree has a significant impact on the world around it. So I think you can see where we're going with this, can't you? The reason that I want to explain it like that is because these parables have been, you know, i got a rack of books on my shelf that go through the parables, and um, there are so many different interpretations of the parables that, that are interpreting it according to what somebody's system is instead of interpreting it according to what it says. I want us to know what it says. And what it says is the small seed... See, Jesus is using this parable to teach His disciples about the impact that His followers are going to have on the world. More specifically, He's using this parable to teach about the impact that the church is going to have on the world. Even more specifically than that, He's using this parable to teach how individual 
Spirit-filled, Bible-believing churches will impact the world in which they are. Even more specifically to us, he's using this parable to teach us how Parkview Baptist Church is supposed to impact the world around us, the community around us, the neighborhood around us, the county, the state, the area. Have you ever thought about the impact that Christianity has had on the world? Now, that's there are some here who have no problem understanding that Christianity has had a very positive impact on the world. But for the past couple of generations, our history, our schools, our media, all of that has been hammering the fact that Christianity has been a negative, has had a negative impact on the world. So I want you to think about the positive impact that Christianity has had on the world. You know, the school books, they'll bring up things like the Crusades or slavery or segregation or a hundred other examples of all the horrible things that people have tried to justify with a twisting of Scripture, and then they blame that on Christianity. But listen to me, those things are not the fruit of biblically faithful Christians or churches. Let me tell you what things are our fruit. The fruit of biblically faithful Christians are things like hospitals. You know that it was Christian churches who started hospitals. Universities. Striving for literacy, that desire that people would learn how to read. That came from a desire that people would read the Word. Striving for literacy, public education, the idea of public education free, available to all, is something that was brought about by the Christian church. Representative government, justice for all, civil liberties. Here's one that might surprise you. Modern science. The idea of taking God's creation and examining it is a form of worship. That's where modern science came from. The abolition of slavery. Women's rights. The recognize, recognizing the dignity and worth of all people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Each of those blessings and a thousand more blessings are ours because of the impact of Christianity on our communities, on our society, on our nation, on our world. So here's the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that the church started off seemingly terribly, terribly small and seemingly insignificant. 120 insignificant people gathered in an upstairs room in an insignificant house on an insignificant street in an insignificant town in an insignificant province in the middle of an incredibly significant Roman Empire. But from that seemingly insignificant, that mustard seed start 2,000 years ago, churches have been planted throughout the world. And churches continue to be planted throughout the world. The gospel has been proclaimed and billions and billions of people have been saved. Heaven has been populated with countless multitudes of people who've been saved, who've grown up out of that one tiny little 
insignificant mustard seed of the church. That's a huge plant, isn't it? But the point is, just the mere presence of that plant has blessed the world in ways that we can't even fathom. The world has been immeasurably blessed by the presence of believers in its midst. The world has taken up residence and nested in the branches of the church and been blessed by that. Not even having a clue where those blessings come from. Even to the point where many times the nesting happens at the same time that the branch is being cursed. The point is real. Biblical Christianity has and will continue to bless the world, which means that individually, that individual biblically faithful churches will be a blessing to the communities that they're in, which means that Parkview Baptist Church must always be a blessing to our community and town and area and region, which means that we as individual believers must be a blessing to the community, to the neighborhood, to the workplace, to the environment in which God has placed us. That brings me to three quick things that we can take away from this parable. First takeaway, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a blessing. Not can be, not should be. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a faithful follower, spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ, you are and will be a blessing. Now, as soon as I say that, your mind goes off and thinks, well, yeah, eternally, in the sweet by and by, I'll I'll be a blessing. No, I'm not just talking about an eternal blessing. You are a temporal blessing. You are a blessing to those who are around you right now. You remember back toward the end of Acts when when Paul and and that pagan crew that was around him on board the ship that was heading from Jerusalem to Rome or from, uh, from yeah, heading, heading to Rome. You remember they were about to be shipwrecked. And as they were about to be shipwrecked, they were going through this horrible storm. And God spoke to Paul, and he told Paul that because Paul was on board that ship, that he was going to save the lives of everybody else, all the unbelievers that were on that ship as well. The ship was completely and totally destroyed, but nobody on board was killed. Because Paul was in their midst. God miraculously saved their lives just because there was a believer in their midst. Listen to me. Because you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, your boss is going to be blessed. You can remind them of that if you want to. But just because you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, your co-workers are going to be blessed. Just because you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, your neighbors are going to be blessed. Even if your boss and your co-workers and your neighbors are coming against you, they are going to be blessed by your presence in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the school, and in your family. Just because you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, your family, even if your family are not believers, your family is going to be blessed because of you. And as we continue becoming a biblically faithful, spirit-filled church, our community 
is going to be blessed. Our area is going to be blessed. Our region is going to be blessed because you are a blessing. Second takeaway. Second takeaway is the biggest impact comes from the smallest packages. Now, my mom is five foot nothing. And I grew up hearing about dynamite comes in small packages. And I can, I can say that for a fact. But the point of this parable is that the biggest impact comes from what seems like the smallest start. You know, there's a lot of people that trash on the millennials. I'm not one of them. I don't, I don't like to trash on the millennials because I remember when everybody was trashing on my generation, Gen X, for the same exact things. And baby boomers, you ought to remember when everybody was trashing on baby boomers for the same thing at that same age. So I don't, I don't like to trash on, on the generations. There are lots of things that I love about millennials. And one of the things that I absolutely love about millennials is they have a desire, as a generation, they have a desire to do really, really big things. They have a desire to make a global impact. One of the things I, one of the things I was um, have said is you know, that's the generation that wants to save the whales but can't remember to turn their bedroom light off. But it's the same thing with every generation, right? They have a desire to change the world. And I think we can all learn from that. We can all long for that desire to see the world changed. On one level, we should all desire to make a really, really big impact. But where we get mixed up is trying to figure out how that's done. How that's done is understanding that the biggest impact comes from the smallest start. Do you want to win the world to Jesus? And we should all say yes. We want to win the world to Jesus. Well, start with your neighbor. Start by proclaiming the gospel to your neighbor. Raise your kids to love Jesus. Live like Jesus in front of your grandkids. Do you want to stop human trafficking? We should all have a desire in our heart to see that that horrible scourge on our society stop. You want to stop human trafficking? Then make friends with a vulnerable young person. You want to stop abortions? And provide an alternative for a confused young mother-to-be. You want to reduce the divorce rate? Love your wife well. Submit to your husband well. You want to fix the opioid crisis? And love your coworker who shows up late all the time and can't get their work done because of their chronic pain. Love them enough to talk to them build a relationship with them. I hope you get the point by each of those examples. Be a mustard seed. Quit, quit worrying about hashtag activism, trying to save the world. Just find one. Build a relationship and invest in them. Start by making a friend and grow by making that friend into a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Invest in one person. Encourage that one person to invest in one person. And when that happens, when one person invests in one person, invests in one person, then the impact will be unimaginable. 
even eternal. Third takeaway. Take heart. Take heart. I I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times in my life where I feel like I'm not making much impact at all. I had a guy one time, this was during my Air Force career, and we were, man, we were doing all kinds of stuff. We were, we were making leaders and doing all this, and just, it seemed, felt like we were just making this just tremendous impact. And this guy, he told me, he said, he said, Jim, I want you to stick your hand in a bucket of water. So, I mean, he had the bucket of water there, so I stuck my hand in that bucket of water. And he said, you see how much water is displaced by your hand? I said, yeah. He said, now pull your hand out. Did the presence of your hand in that water change anything? I was like, well, you're a big bummer. Sometimes it feels like that, though, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like we're just doing the things that we do and not making a whole lot of impact. That's not what this parable says. I want you to take heart. Are you feeling like that that mom who is in the middle of one of those days where it's diaper changing and nose wiping and sandwich making and homework checking and recital attending and taxi driving and all of these things over and over and over again? And at the end of the day, you're like, what difference have I made? You're starting to really wonder if your life counts for anything. How in the world are you going to change your world if you don't have time to change your bed sheets? Well, if that's you this morning, if you're feeling like you could be pulled out of that water and there's no impact at all, if that's you this morning, I want you to take heart. Take heart because your labor is not in vain. As a Spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christian, your mustard seed efforts are making a far greater impact than you can even begin to fathom, both in this generation and in the generations to come, both in this life and in eternity. Take heart because your labor is not in vain. Now, there's one thing that I worry about as your pastor. Because sometimes I can, I can look back over sermons I've preached and sometimes I can get this feeling like it could be easily understood that you come here every Sunday for me to tell you all the things that you need to do or all the things that you're not doing right or enough or whatever. I hope you don't ever feel like that. But I want you to hear something from me right now. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear something from me right now. As a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, your impact for Him is greater than you will ever know, greater than any of us will ever know. If you never get to see it, your impact for Him as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is more than you will ever know this side of eternity. Now, if you're not a believer here this morning, I'll just be frank with you. I want you to quit hanging around the branches. Quit just making nests in the church tree. 
I, I want you to become part of this. See, hanging around and nesting in the branches doesn't impact anything. Quit thinking that you're impacting the world. Quit thinking that you're making things better by all of your bright ideas and your big talk and your hashtag activism because that doesn't ultimately change anything. You are, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, you are absolutely blessed to be in the company of believers. Your life is being impacted. You are being blessed in ways that you don't know. But if you want to make an impact. And I'll just be frank with you. You need to get saved. You need to trust Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior. And then the impact that you make will be eternal. For the rest of you who are believers here this morning, like I said, I want you to take heart. And you can take heart because Jesus has saved you to be a blessing. Encouragement for you is keep plugging along. Keep growing. Keep sharing. And keep living in the hope and joy of Jesus. One of my favorite verses that keeps coming back and coming back and coming back to me came back to me uh, at this conference this past week. Galatians 6, 9. And if you don't know that one, just mark it down and, and cling to it. That's what I'm going to leave you with this morning. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So if you're an unbeliever here this morning, you need to get saved. Talk to me about that. If you're a believer here this morning, don't give up. Keep pressing on. Your impact is greater than you'll ever know. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank You for the encouragement of Your Word. Father, thank You for the gift of faith to be able to see what we can't see, to be able to believe what we can't see. And Father, that's the part of faith that this passage has brought up, to trust that as believers as faithful followers of Christ to trust that we are making an impact. So Father, I thank you for that faith. But Lord, at the same time, I know that there are people in our midst this morning, people who are are sitting under the sound of my voice, sitting under the sound of the preaching of your word, who are just nesting in the branches. who are just basking in the blessings of just being with believers. Oh Lord, would you, would you show them their need for Jesus this morning? Would you show them their need to be saved this morning? Father, would your Spirit draw them to Christ? Father, would you show them the eternity-impacting difference that they can make as a fully committed follower of Jesus. Father, however you're working in hearts this morning, we trust you to do the work that only you can do. So, Father, we ask that you would do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.